Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. A little bit late today. I apologize. The Boneyard is here. The Boneyard is here. No need to despair. I uh, had uh, business lunch today and uh, happy to announce that uh, a rising star in the recruiting industry, Rian Young, is uh, making the move over from Rivals to join us over jeanspage.com, part of a record-setting team. We have the largest subscription base we have ever had in our history. And every day this month, we've set a new record well, for the last two weeks, a new record in subscriptions. And uh, so bigger and better than ever. And, uh, you know, hey, since we're making some money, let's spend some money, right? Because scared money don't make money. So rather than sit back and uh, plan another, you know, vacation trip or, you know, whatever, uh, you know, the way that I look at life is, um, you know, the only thing better than $25,000 is $50,000. And there was a time in my life I was happy to make that. But, um, you know, listen, part of this too, guys, is uh, I'm getting old. Truth. You say, Steve, you're not that old. You're, you're my age, and that's probably true. But I'm getting old. And in recruiting years, I'm really old. I'm almost a dinosaur in many respects. And uh, when I came into this game, you know, I wanted to hit the ground running. I mean, you know, those were the days of Scott Kennedy and Jamie Newberg and, and uh, Alan. I can't remember Alan's last name, but Alan Wallace, yes. There were so many people. I looked up to and admired, and uh, in time, I became that guy. You know, I, I became the guy, especially in the state of Mississippi, that uh, people look to. You know, if you wanted to get, you know, exposure for your, your player, you came to me. And I was happy to do it. And uh, I still, obviously, doing some recruiting coverage, but uh, I know at some point that, uh, you know, you got to start training the next generation. You do. And uh, so – that's kind of part of this, you know. Uh, Rian's a lot younger than me, and uh, he's old enough. Obviously, he's you know got a young guy with a family, but uh, we've brought him up from the minor leagues of rivals to the big time here at two four seven. And uh, I'm excited, man. I am. I'm excited. He's a guy that's already built a lot of key relationships with recruits, and so if you've been pleased with our recruiting coverage, you're going to be even happier. Because uh, we're going to have both barrels blazing here, here in the next uh, few months. So uh, excited about it. I am. I wanted to share that with you. And, uh, of course, he has already informed rivals of his intention. So we gave him the opportunity to do that. That's, that's the right way to do things. I told him, I said, hey, listen, I'm not going to make any announcements until you have a chance to handle your business with them. Uh, they deserve that. I mean, and he deserves the opportunity to let them know that. And so 
Uh, we'll have them up and running here in a couple days. And so if you're a jeanspage.com subscriber, you know, be, be glad you, you are because uh, you're about to get more than you, you're paying for. You already were, but now we're fixing to just throw something else on top of it. But a uh, couple days left to save, man. If you're looking to get aboard that annual subscription, 50% off special. That'll get you a year. Think about that. For half price, a year. That'll get you all the way through football season, all the way through the heart of recruiting, and all the way through college baseball season and through the summer camps of next year. Think about that. Everything that's anything. Men's basketball, women's basketball, the signing day extravaganza, everything, you pay for it right now. 50 cents on a dollar, and you're going to be covered for a full year. It's incredible. And I guarantee you this, you're going to want to stick around. we got some very intelligent and plugged-in posters. Uh, they're part of our discussion with that great community at jeanspage.com. The... Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports, uh, you know, the, the most dominant force in Mississippi State media, for sure. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I ate there yesterday, as a matter of fact. Ate there yesterday. Had the Mississippi barbecue burger again with the onion rings. Got my Diet Coke with it. Didn't get the spring rolls, but uh, another great experience. Sat out there on the patio, too, and one of the cool things is, you know, I, I kind of wanted some peace and quiet. And uh, it was busy. I, I usually go to lunch later than most of you folks do. I like to go later. It's not so much hustle and bustle, you know. And plus, I, I like to sit there and kind of look over my phone. So I, I don't mind eating up a table, you know, maybe at 2 o'clock, you know, the, rather than the lunch rush. I don't want to be disrespectful to a server. So went yesterday, but uh, a little bit busier. We're packed, as you'd expect. And uh, we sat out there on the patio, and they turned that fan on for us. And so it was nice to be outside. It was quiet. The fan was on us, so it was uh, plenty comfortable, and we had a great meal. You should, too. Go by and treat yourself at Bulldog Burger Company. It's one of three great locations here in Stark Vegas on University Drive, Lake Harbor Drive, and the Ridge and Flowood area, and, of course, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Get the spring rolls as your appetizer. You know, sometimes I don't want to overdo it, right? I mean, I, this is the truth. Don't want to overdo it. I already got enough of you guys asking for pictures. I don't need, I don't need too many of that, you know, so... Uh, go by and do that for yourself. Make the world a more beautiful place. Get the spring rolls. Get that chocolate shake to go. Bulldog Burger Company, a great place, man. A great place to be out with friends or be out with family. There's something on the menu for everybody, for absolutely everybody, whether it be the BLT salad, the, the sweet heat chicken sliders. There's so many good things to choose from there. Uh, be sure and go find your own favorites uh, here in the weeks and months to come. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right. I had the opportunity to uh, speak with Justin Parker yesterday. Now, I want to clear something up, too, okay? Uh, I got credited for having the first big interview with Justin Parker, and that's not technically true. Joel Coleman from uh, Mississippi State did have him on a little podcast thing there, uh, and so that was kind of the introductory interview. However, let's be honest, Joel can't ask him some questions that I can't, okay? So, again, I love Joel. Joel is my uh, – Joel, like – Joel's the kind of guy, like, if I, if I needed something, like if I'm broke down on the side of the road or, or whatever, or, you know, or anything like that, I'd call Joel. So I'm in no way saying this to be critical of Joel. But, you know, yeah, yesterday was kind of the first real interview because I got a chance to ask him, you know, hey, I understand you called uh, Scott Foxhall and talked to him before you took the job. And Joel can't ask that question, right? I mean, Joel would in a normal circumstances, but being as an employee of the university, you can't really ask that question, you know, and so – uh, there are a few questions obviously I could ask him. And you can read that interview in its entirety over at jeanspage.com exclusively for our VIP subscribers. But I'll give you a little bit of a tease. 
There are a few things that he said yesterday that really, really struck uh, a chord with me. And uh, a lot of it was about your coaches. You know, the integrity of your coaches, how well-respected your coaches are in the, in the college baseball circles. And not just because they won an AFL championship at a place that should have had multiple, but the fact that they are respected as coaches within the game and they know how to treat people. And let's be honest about this. Okay, like Chris Simonis had to fire Scott Foxhall. He did. We all knew this. And that's not necessarily maybe, you know, all Scott's fault. I think we all agree with that. Defensively, we had a lot of mistakes this year where our pitchers had to labor much longer. I mean, when you already are, it's already such a fragile deal. And then, you know, we finally get a ground ball to short and we boot it. We get a ground ball to third and we airmail it into the stands. You know, you don't think that gets on a pitcher's nerves? Man, come on. That happens. That's a big part of it, too. So it wasn't just pitching. But ultimately, Fox ended up being uh, the guy let go. And I've had a chance to visit with Coach Fox here in recent weeks. You know, he gets it. He understands. I mean, of course he's disappointed. I mean, they loved it here. Won an AFL championship here, but things just kind of fell apart on us. And that's the, at the end of the day, that's the thing about college sports that differentiates that from what you and I do, right? Now, at the end of the day, we're all in a production-based business. No matter what you do, no matter where you're from, you got to take care of customers, whether you be, you know, working in a rough mill or whatever. I mean, you got to make sure that you're doing a good job getting that cut down to ensure that the order satisfy your customer. You know, at the end of the day, we're all in customer service. But the thing about that is, is, you know, you know it's kind of like being the, uh, you know, the salesman of the month, you know, at the, uh, the car dealership. You know, you, you're heavy as a head that wears a crown because uh, you end up on the bottom for a couple months, you're out of a job. You got to satisfy customers. You got to make sales. But there are no other salespeople when it comes to pitching. There is just one, Al Capitano, Scott Foxhall. And you look at it, and the most glaring need we had was pitching. Now, I don't believe that Scott Foxhall forgot how to coach. And I think Fox is a guy, too. The, you know, in 2022, you know, we had Landon Sims get hurt, and people forget that how legendary the performance he was having at Tulane. We all knew it, man. We knew it. The next day, we lose Stone Simmons. Maybe it was Sunday. Either way, but we lose Stone Simmons, you know, for, for the year. And so that happens one time and you think, oh, man, it's so unfortunate, you know. We already were having to replace, uh, you know, Will Bednar and Christian McLeod and several others. And uh, we knew we didn't have a true closer. And like, ah, you know, we're at the end of a talent cycle. We've had some injuries. And and so you kind of, you know, like, okay, I get it. Well, it happens a second year, you know, that there has to be a change. And it doesn't matter how nice a guy Scott is because he's a tremendous guy. He is a tremendous guy. He's a tremendous baseball coach. I mean, again, I don't think you look at the – any, any of us on our worst day, you take a snapshot of our worst day on the job, probably makes us all look unemployable, right? But, uh, but Fox gets it. I mean, he does. And he's had some opportunities, and uh, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll sort through all that. Uh, guy's got to do what's best for his family. But Lamonis had to do what was best for our family, you know. And so kind of – Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year. 
and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scoot. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. I'm giving you guys a little backstory here. Some insider trading here on the Boneyard. So there were a lot of people that were kind of pushing this Rob Walton thing. A bunch of people. And I firmly believe all Chris Simonis had to do was say, Rob, okay, let's go. We'll, we'll take the job. You know, we'll, we'll offer you the gig. I have no doubt he would have taken the job and probably would have done a good job here at Mississippi State. But the top two candidates from day one, Jason Jackson from Alabama, Justin Parker from South Carolina. Lamonis wanted to get somebody with SEC experience, not disguised to just have a knowledge of the hitters in our league, but a knowledge of the recruiting footprint, kind of knowing who you're recruiting against. Now, it's interesting, you know, early on, other people told me, he said, yeah, Jason Jackson's probably down our list. Well, I think it's because we expected him to get the job at Alabama or him to stay on at Alabama. It was widely known that Jason wanted to stay at Alabama in some capacity. I had some people from the very beginning said, you know what, Jason's not getting that job. He's not. He's not getting the job. And you know what? He ultimately didn't get the job. But there were a lot of people who kind of had this Gary Henderson effect. You know, it's like, hey, well, let's – 
You know, you're caught up in emotion sometimes. You're like, hey, let's give him a shot, give him a one-year deal. You know, sometimes coaching, you know, like say for an example, what happened at Alabama with Brad Bohannon. It's a crazy, unfortunate situation, right? And everybody involved is negatively impacted. But all of a sudden, you, you know, you fire that guy, and then like the guy that's like the Jason Jackson stands up and says, guys, we're going to prove that we're who we are as men. We're going to stand together. We'll get back to back. The world is against us. We're going to bond together, and we're going to try to win a few ball games. We're going to salvage something of this season. We're not going to let this thing sink us. There becomes this big rallying cry. And sometimes you need something crazy to kind of ignite your team, and it did. And Jason deserves a lot of credit, but also there's a veteran team. It's a lot of guys that had not really accomplished anything of note in their careers at Alabama. Oh, they made a regional. Uh, yeah, right? So, what do they do? They end up getting you know, a couple of wins away from Omaha. You know, so, again, great job. But once it was kind of determined Jason wasn't getting a job, there were a lot of people that said, maybe the week before the hire, hey, Jason's probably going to stay on in some capacity. Maybe the pitching coach job. Jason wants to stay in Tuscaloosa. Jason loves Alabama. Jason really wants to stay on at the University of Alabama, even if he's not the coach. And so it works out. And so ultimately you get your guy, Justin Parker. And uh, I love what I had, he had to say yesterday. And one of the things that I asked him about, too, was about, um, you know, pitching philosophy. You know, what kind of hand you've been dealt. And he goes, you know, hey, I, I wasn't dealt the hand. I chose his hand. I thought that was a great comment, too. He said, I know what we have here. I know about the talent. And he talked extensively about fine-tuning some things mechanically, using the slope of the mound, trying to have less movement, better control. I mean, there's just a lot to this. I think after him watching uh, Mississippi State film, I think he's encouraged. And it's encouraging to me. It is to hear him speak. Now, I wouldn't expect him to come in here and say, you know, hey, Steve, you know, we got to get this guy and that guy. You know, but what, what do you hear from most coaches? I mean, what, what is the traditional coach speak philosophy, right? Under-promise and over-deliver. And then, you know, here's Justin saying, hey, we got talent. We've got talent here at Mississippi State. And we got to get a couple of the arms, but um, we got talent. And that's what a lot of people have told us. You got talent. You know, well, talent's talent, but, you know, we need production, right? That's his job to kind of get it out of, of him. And so – uh, one of the things that I thought was incre uh, uh, incredible, pardon me, and I tweeted this out yesterday when I tweeted out the article itself, and I asked him, you've coached in just about every stadium in this league. How would you say what you've seen at Mississippi State compares to what you've seen around the Southeastern Conference? Because it's one thing for me to say it, right? I don't get to see all the behind-the-scenes tour. I get to see, you know, the press box and some of the amenities and what you guys see on game day, and I've been to every SEC venue. But Justin's done it from a different point of view and here's what he says well, I've talked about it all year all of us baseball guys have so much downtime and so much time to kill you know you're messing around with the OP guys that's the uh, ops guy excuse me and the managers I've talked about it a ton it's like rate the stadiums and you can use whatever criteria you want to use it could be environment or facilities just rate your favorite stadiums duty noble is always everybody's number one it's amazing I told Lem and all the guys here, my son is just over six months old. 
when I walked into that stadium, I loved it. I loved the stadium. I loved the tailgating area. I loved the barbecue. I loved the smoked meat and all the grilling. I'm excited to be here for that reason too. But I thought as a father how awesome it would be if your son was good enough to play in the SEC. Did he get a chance to play at a place like this? Could there be any bigger honor, pride, or enjoyment knowing your son got the chance to take the field here every day? It's incredible. If that doesn't get you fired up, knowing that you got a guy here that's bought into what you have, that recognizes the tradition, the commitment we've made to college baseball here, nothing ever will. It'd be easy for him to say, you know what, hey, yeah, this is a great league, and you know, Dirty Noble this and Dirty Noble that, Ron Polk and, and Go Steve, you know, Hell State, pardon me. But the reality of it is, is that um, this is a guy that had a good situation in South Carolina. Absolutely great situation there. Had it rolling. Had the second best ERA in the Southeastern Conference this year. Second to only Florida, who played for a national title. Of course, they lose that game to LSU. And listen, you know, LSU's proven, uh, you know, their NIL package is a little bit better than everybody else's. They've won a women's basketball championship of a team largely comprised of transfers. And they've won a national championship in baseball with a team that was already pretty talented, but they supplemented with uh, some um, people from the portal. I mean, where, where would LSU be without Skeens and Tommy White and Thatcher Hurd? I mean, Thatcher Hurd was so up and down throughout the year. It's like, ah, oh, this kid's not going to be very good. He got to Omaha. He found it. And good for him, right? But uh, Justin's out kind of getting to know you guys a little bit. He was down there seeing Gerangelo uh, Sanchi uh, down in um, South Florida yesterday, West Palm Beach. They're going back up Team USA stuff. Of course, uh, Dakota Jordan is there. And, uh, you know, we're working through some things. But uh, Justin's a guy that I think is going to come in and do a great job for us. And I, I want to share with you one thing, too, that from the article about some of the pitching philosophy stuff, right? This is important to understand. And I'm not going to give you the whole thing, but I think it shows that he gets it. This is the second part of his answer. I think when you look at what happened last year, many Mississippi State, I think things got sped up and then out of control. If you got, it got to the point of no return where you've got some games and you feel like, here we go again. We have some things we need to tighten up. Just look at the delivery patterns. There are some things we can do to get these guys moving a little bit better. We want to free them up a little bit better to get down the mound. We want to use less effort but have more command. It's about using a slope and our lower halves better. That will be a part of the teaching process. The big thing is just getting in there, getting to know them, and building trust. From there, it's about establishing an identity, and that's going to be on them. I'm going to put a lot, on, a lot of that on them. I'm going to do a lot of classroom stuff where I'm going to ask them to define things and then tell me what the problems are. What are the solutions? What do you guys want this to be? That way they have some ownership in it. That's a big part of this thing, too. You know, it's one of those things where you're always telling everybody, okay, this is what you do, this is what you do, this is what you do. And if somebody does it exactly the way you want it done, it doesn't work out, you've got nobody to blame but yourself. You've got to give people the opportunity to kind of have some say in this thing. Not that it's a democracy, right? There's one voice that's being heard. But as you're working through this, I think it's important to make sure that the guys are a part of that deal. The guys are a part of this process where they feel like, you know what, hey, this is our system, not just necessarily his system. And that's where he talks about getting them in the classroom, you know, helping them kind of understand you know, the whys behind what we're doing. Hey, this is what we're doing, and this is why we want to do it. This is how it impacts the hitter. This is what we're trying to do to set up for later. 
And I don't know that we've had a lot of that. And uh, again, you know, I, I love Fox to death. I just think in the end, what happened here is it just got away from us. It just simply got away from us. And then we couldn't return. And um, I, honestly, I think you go back and you look at the uh, 0-6 start in SEC play. You know, I think there are a lot of people there that kind of said, you know what, this just isn't going to work out. You know, we'll try to figure it out and make the best of it. You know, and then it, for two consecutive years, it's like we're already like, okay, let's start bargaining with ourselves and say, okay, here's what we have to do to make it to Hoover. Here's what we have to do to have a chance to realistically make it in the tournament. And then none of those things happened. And so, like all of you, I'm ready to move forward and start winning some baseball games. And after talking to Justin Parker, and you don't get the, the, the benefit of doing that just yet, after having a chance to talk to him, I don't have a lot of questions about the guy's qualifications. I loved him on paper, and having a chance to talk a little baseball with him, I love him even more. But I'll be interested to see what it looks like in these fall scrimmages that will be here before you know it and seeing how our pitchers respond to him. And so, again, don't judge the guys too harshly early in fall. You know, I've, I've never been – a guy that puts a lot of stock in fall practice. But the last two years, you know, our fall pitching has not been good. We had a lot of walks. We're like, oh, I hope it's hitting the harbinger of things to come. And more times than not, what they tell you is, well, we're working on a pitch. And, you know, we're trying to learn to throw, you know, this pitch in different counts, try to make it a swing and miss thing. And so there's a lot of that in those controlled scrimmages that are kind of situational for pitchers too. But I I'm, I'm just mainly want to see – are we throwing strikes consistently, right? Are we able to go out there and not have these violent deliveries that where we, you know, we're landing our foot all over the place, right? We're opening up that front side way too early, throwing across our body. I mean, there's a lot of things mechanically we did last year trying to overthrow to generate velo. You know, let's use the mound, right? And let's push off the rubber. Let's throw with greater command. And, uh, again, sometimes a new broom sweeps clean, right? I mean, more times than not, that's the case. And, again, I've said on this show before, and I'll say it again, there is going to be some exponential growth on the pitching side simply because of the fact that you have so many guys that were first-year pitchers in this organization that will have a year of experience under their belt. I mean, I could probably go be a pitching coach and see some of those guys get better just because of the fact they've seen SEC hitting up close. They know how teams are going to attack them now. And so now it's about getting better. And so Justin Parker, I think, is going to do a great job for us, kind of simplifying some things for us. But I think that kind of coupled with the fact that you've got some guys that have kind of gained some valuable experience last year, I think you're going to see much improvement among the entire staff. There will be a couple guys here and there I think make a jump. Maybe some other guys that just don't have the buy-in. Or, yeah, not every pitching system works for everybody, and that's one thing Parker talked about is you've got to coach guys as individuals. You can't have a one-size-fits-all approach to coaching pitching. And that's true, too. There's so much of that that I think a lot of coaches say, well, this is my system. It's what we're going to run. You're going to do it this way. And uh, the thing that I noticed, and some of you guys mentioned it, you know, social media and message boards, and, and I can tell you guys have good baseball minds, but there were so many times last year you take one pitcher out, you bring another guy in, it looks exactly like the guy that left. You know, the arm, <clears throat> the arm path is the same. The pitch selection is the same. The arm slot is the same. And so we're just going to trot the same guys out there, throw them from the right side, throw them from the same arm slot. We're going to throw the same pitches. You become predictable. You know, you don't have that side armor. You don't have that guy that's a three-quarter guy. Everybody's just kind of same. I think that's one thing you're going to see with Parker is we're going to change some things up. And we you know, we got some guys coming in too 
uh, that, that are different than what we have. That's important, too. you got to be able to give people a different look. And, and usually that, that middle reliever that's got that funky delivery, he can get you through the order once. And how many times last year did we need that? You, let's say you get a quality start, and you just need somebody to get you through the order and maybe get you two to three innings without surrendering the lead and turn it over to the bullpen. We turn it over to the closer. How many times, how many games do we have won if we just had that bridge guy? We didn't have it so many times last year. And so now you work on this, you find that guy, it's a sidearm guy, you find that guy that's got that unorthodox delivery, it's a lot harder to break that guy down. And you, once you've seen him once, you think, okay, I know what he's going to do, but then he's out of the ballgame. So you get the quality start from your starter and get two or three innings from that uh, middle relief guy and you turn it over to Aaron Nixon or whoever the closer would be next year, and it's a dub. That's important to understand. My, my philosophy's always been I'm not going to bring a guy in that looks just like the guy ahead of him. And uh, if, if the guy I'm bringing in is not better than the guy that's on the mound, then I don't need to be bringing him in. If all I'm going to do is go out there and give him more of the same, just a fresher pitcher doing it, then um, – I'm not making myself uh, very competitive. So, again, I think a lot of Scott Foxhall, I think a lot of Justin Parker, I'm eager to see what he does. You know, I guess in some ways you can say, hey, well, he won the press conference. That's great. That won't get us to Omaha. He won't. We've got to get out and go find a couple pitchers in the portal. Got to find a couple pieces. We've got to get to work. But the bulk of our progress has got to come from the guys that are returning from last year's roster. Simple as I can say it. That's got to be the case. We can't just go get a couple guys – you know, some plug-and-play guys to fix us for this year. we got to fix this thing once and for all. We have to implement a system that allows us to bring pitchers in, kind of fine-tune what they do well, correct what they don't, and have them here for three years. This is not just about – this Justin Parker hire is not just about this year. It's about this year and the next year and the next year and the next year because that's what we want. We want a guy that's going to come in here, do a great job, and then ultimately probably be a head coach somewhere. Maybe it's here. I don't know. But the reality of it is, is this is not a one-year fix type deal. Not to say that we're not going to be better. That's not what I'm suggesting. I think this thing can turn around very quickly. But you don't just hire Justin Parker for 2024. You hire Justin Parker for the foreseeable future. And after speaking to him directly, I feel really good about the decision, even better than I did uh, leading up to the days that we hired him. You know, to me, that made the most sense. And, again, people were telling me two weeks before all that, hey, Justin's not going to make a move this year. Knew that he was high on our list, but kept being told, not going to make a move. And then like the weekend before it all shook loose, the weekend before we, uh, you know, targeted Mike Silva, I was told, you know, maybe this thing with Justin's not quite as certain as I told you before. There's a possibility he may make a move because Kingston's being mentioned, connection to Miami job, and he don't want to go down there. So Parker might actually come to Mississippi State. And then the next day I found out that, well, Silva's probably going to get the job. But as soon as the silver thing blew up, it was nothing but Justin Parker the rest of the way. Nothing but Justin Parker the rest of the way. Now, we had some other irons in the fire, obviously, but there was – Parker was the guy, and Lamontis went and got him. And that's, you know, all's well that ends well, right? So that was the first big step in this process is getting a bona fide pitching coach. Not just getting a coach, getting one of the top pitching coaches in the country because we're Mississippi State. We deserve that, and we did. We went out and got it. And uh, it's interesting, too, you know. There are a lot of people out there, too, so kind of working through this, and a lot of people talk, LSU's going to have their guy before we do, and they don't. And uh, I think it's going to be – let's go get Nate Yeske, which, you know, I'm a Nate fan. I've been told that Nate is not interested in the job. But unless they go get Nate Yeske, I think Mississippi State's going to win 
when it comes to the pitching coach search, when it's all said and done, you know, unless maybe Corey Mascara leaves to go to LSU, then that would be a huge win. Mascara's done a great thing there at, at Wake Forest. And, of course, LSU has the resources and financial commitment to build a lab the way he wants it. So that wouldn't be great news for any of us. But um, outside of that, I think you're going to be hard-pressed to find anybody did a better job of hiring a pitching coach other than Mississippi State and Chris Simonis. All right, time for today's top ten list. As always, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R. Like Blair from Facts of Life. Here we go. Blair Chandler is a mortgage professional, a tremendous winner in that industry. Give him a call today at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And let him know what your situation is. Maybe you're trying to buy a home. Maybe you need to refinance. Maybe you're in foreclosure. Blair can deal with every bit of that. Maybe you've gotten behind. Maybe it's one of those deals where you're like, you know, Steve, life got away from us, and I'm just trying to consolidate some debt right now and lower my overall monthly payment. Blair may have a solution for you. Be sure to mention to him you heard about him on the Boneyard. He is a bulldog through and through, multiple season ticket holder, has a place here in town. Bulldog in the truest of the true maroon. That's closewithblair.com. All right, today's top ten list is a suggestion from Heath Hopkins. You guys know Heath. Heath is a devout bulldog. Heath is also a regular contributor to our top ten list and has a lot of good ideas. And he, he had one today that uh, really kind of struck my fancy. I got it a few days ago and uh, I said, you know what, let's go with this one. And he says, you know, what about songs that have boom in the title? Well, as a guy that's from the early 90s dancing, I can accommodate you. As a guy that's uh, multi-versed in the rock scene, I could put this list together with my eyes closed. So pretty, pretty eclectic list here. We got some rock, we got some dance stuff, we got some rap, we got some blues. How about that? I submit to you that you have heard every one of these songs, save one, maybe. But it's boom songs today on the top ten list. A lot of boom here. All right, number 10, because I'm a Motley fan, I had to get it in here. I love this track. It's off of uh, the Motley compilation album. And uh, they did the um, Supersonic and Demonic Relics album. Had some B-sides on there. And then there was like a solo track from each of the members. This was Tommy Lee's solo track on the Motley Crue album, Supersonic and Demonic Relics. It's uh, Planet Boom. Boom over here, boom over there, boom everywhere. And in the beginning, he goes, you know, why don't you just bring it on? Love it. I love the percussion on this. Of course, you'd expect it to have a heavy percussive song with Tommy Lee as the composer. So number 10, Motley Crue's Planet Boom. Number nine, going back to the blues standards, it's John Lee Hooker's Boom, Boom, Boom. And you've heard that a million times. It's been like in 100 movies. It's everywhere. Probably one of the most recognizable blue songs of all time. Number, number eight, a band that I've seen multiple times. I love these guys. My distant cousin Chris is the lead singer. I don't know that. I'm just claiming him. But it's Chris Robertson and Blackstone Cherry. We've done a top ten of those guys before. 
If you know they're the descendants of the Kentucky headhunters, you remember all the, all the fun we had at Dumas Walkers? But it's uh, blame it on the boom boom. And you say, well, what's the boom boom, Steve? Well, it's, you know, it's like when you get that, um, I don't know, maybe the yearning for that wicked sensation. And maybe you do something you shouldn't do, right? And so you can blame it on the boom boom. Number seven, this is another song that's been in a ton of movies. And you may not even know who performed it, but it was an alternative rock standard for its time. It's a band called The Hives, and this is uh, their biggest hit. It's Tick, Tick, Boom. Great, great track, too. Really good track. Kind of in the vein of Blur. Kind of Oasis-y a little bit, if that's a term. We'll make it one. But I dig it. I know you guys will, too. Number seven, The Hives, Tick, Tick, Boom. Number six, a song back from my dancing days. These guys sound a lot like uh, Dead, Dead or Alive. And most of you only know Dead or Alive from uh, like a record. Dead or Alive is a much, much expensive catalog than that. But you got to be known for something. This song was also part of MTV's uh, AIDS uh, can- campaign you know, to promote safe sex. It's a track called Boom Boom. And the rest of the chorus is Let's Go Back to My Room. So it is a song about sex, but it's written by a guy named Paul Akakis. And uh, he was a guy, too, kind of trying to break out of the dance scene. A bit of a one-hit wonder. But uh, this was really big in the clubs for a long time. That's your number six song. Number five, and I submit to you the rest of these are ones you know well. Number five, it's BP, Black Eyed Peas. Because they got that boom, boom, pow. And and, uh, is is there a better story in recent pop music history than Fergie. I mean, honestly, do you know her story? She's in recovery. I don't know if you knew that. You know, she was in, I guess the band was Wild Orchid and uh, was part of a trio. They had a couple little hits and she went off the deep end and uh, went to kind of put her, her career back together. Got discovered by the Black Eyed Peas, joins them and uh, becomes a superstar and has had some big hits uh, as a solo artist. She's got a great story. If you don't know it, I encourage you. I think there's, I think it's probably out there like on YouTube, but uh, you can watch her talk about her path to recovery. And uh, a lot of respect for her. A talented artist, an absolutely beautiful woman, but also she is an overcomer in life, not just a survivor. She is a person that has overcome a lot and uh, is a bigger star today than she has ever been. Number four, this was everywhere. I mean, like when everybody was first doing these uh, you know, unauthorized videos on YouTube and that sort of stuff, the song Click, Click, Boom from the great rock band Saliva. That's your number four track today. And it seemed like everybody had it as their football highlight video. Click, Click, Boom from Saliva, number four. Number three, going back, way back, back when we used to have the um, Crank It Up contest sponsored by Hoopers. You remember that back in the day when everybody had uh, it was a system in their car? It's a Tigra and Bunny. It's Latrim with cars that go boom. And uh, I wonder, sometimes I sit around like, and I wonder, wonder where Tigra and Bunny are these days. I kind of had more of a thing for Bunny than I did Tigra. But uh, this song, these girls are not especially talented. I mean, they're very cute. But the song itself, because of the fact, that point in time, that was a huge thing. And this is a song that really made the speakers quake. But the cars that go boom. Number two, this song has special meaning to me. Because it wasn't just a song, it was a way of life. And uh, I'll give you a little insight here, too. So 
I used this one time to serve somebody. Uh, when I first started seeing my wife, she was sort of dating somebody. Now, she disputes that. And uh, if you were like me, back in those days, you know, I kind of saw that as a competition. Like if I saw somebody and they actually were dating somebody, that, that didn't mean a lot to me. It just showed me who I had to beat, right? So I didn't have a lot of respect for that. I, I didn't. And, and maybe that's a character flaw. But anyway, she was kind of dating somebody, and uh, I knew the thing, that relationship wasn't going anywhere. And so anyway, after we started dating, he made, he was, I was walking by him one day, and he made some comment. Oh, it's a shame to see good-looking girls end up with guys that, uh, you know, criminals. And I was, I was reformed at that point, but he was being very petty. And if there ever becomes a battle with the petty, it's going to be me. I'm going to win that. And so I was talking to my friend Jim, who we call Thermos. Thermos. I said, I saw I walk by this clown as he's saying this, because he's really talking to me. He's facing a friend, but he's talking to me, about to, talking about me. And he just is too big of a, uh, of a wuss to say it to my face. And so I say, hey, Jim. You know my favorite song in the world right now? He goes, what's that, Steve? So it's this great new rap group called Boys from the Bottom. And they got a, a song called Boom, I Got Your Girlfriend. That's my favorite song in the world right now. I said it right to his face. Because I'm a real one. Even back then, I certainly was. I would trade hands with you back then. Nowadays, I'll just get in the car and leave. But uh, Boys from the Bottom, Boom, I Got Your Girlfriend. Let me go ahead and prepare you for this. There is kind of a PG-13 bordering on NC-17 introduction to this song. This is, again, a song uh, about carnal relations. I'm just telling you. So when you hear it come on, you're thinking, what in the world am I listening to? So for about 10 seconds there, it's uh, something you might hear on Cinemax. I'm just telling you. It's a great track. But number one, it's from the, we're going to change it up here. We're going to go from, uh, you know, sleeping around with other people's girlfriends to a band that is actually a Christian rock band, and people don't fully appreciate that. It's payable on death. It's P-O-D. A band that let us all know about the fundamental elements of Southtown. And then they released that great album, Satellite, that came out on 9-11. Did you know that? It was released on 9-11. That's the album that's got Youth of the Nation on it. And that was a song that became very anthemic for young people in this country. And uh, there's a lot of great tracks on there. I think it's one of those albums that uh, maybe has a bit of a divine purpose, too. I think it was released when it was released, and I don't think it was no accident. You know, I think there were a lot of young people that, uh, that experienced a lot of healing because of that album. There's so many great songs on the album. But uh, the big hit, it's Boom. And it used to be our introduction Davis Wade Stadium, we'd come out, here comes the boom, the boys from the south. And just so you guys know, too, the very first chapter in Dogpile is called the boys from the south. It is an homage to the bulldogs that, that came before what we enjoy today that laid the groundwork for this great program. But the idea for the, that title came from this song, the boys from the south. Here comes the boys from the south. Now, they're talking about you know, South San Diego, the, the fundamental elements of Southtown. We see it as boys from the South, as the Southeast. But uh, I love the track. I still listen to it. It still gets my, gets my motor running. I hope it does yours too. But it's P.O.D.'s Boom. Uh, almost went, we almost worked in DJ Jazzy Jeff and uh, the Fresh Prince with Boom Boom Shake the Room. I just thought it was a little bit, uh, a little bit contrived. But uh, Nevertheless, nothing against Will Smith. Just not good enough to make our list. And again, I wanted this to list to, to kind of uh, have a little bit of an eclectic feel to it. So a lot of stuff in this 
that maybe you're familiar with, maybe you're not, all these tracks are great. And I guarantee you this, there's going to be some people today that are going to put on that Paula Keka song, Boom Boom, and they're like, you know what, I remember the song. I didn't know who sang it, but I'm glad to have it back. So there you go. Top 10 Boom songs, according to me. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let us know. You can find me on all forms of social media at Scout Steve R. You can find Roy at Dogmatic67, D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. You can find our great list on Spotify on that same handle. Go ahead and subscribe. It doesn't cost you anything. I mean, like, if you're already a Spotify user, just subscribe to Roy. Just give him that follow, and uh, these great lists will kind of pop up for you. You'll be glad you got them. So, again, that's Dogmatic67. And thanks so much, as always, for your support of the Top 10 list. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Campus Bookmart, our Starkvillian institution. Next time you're in town, go by and see Campus Bookmart. Neatly positioned on the backside of campus. You can swing through there, pick up your Mississippi State merch, slip it on, take that right on the campus. Next thing you know, you're pulling up to one of Mississippi State's historic venues. How cool is that? Very, very easy to find. Just, let me just turn off 182 right there at the State Trooper section, uh, station and then uh, go on down. It's right there on the left right before you get to campus. Awesome, right? If you can't make it to town to see their smiling faces, or perhaps game day is not a good shopping day for you, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bucks, absolutely incomplete. And mom, I'm telling you now, everybody is hankering for some new gear. I got a whole carload of stuff here recently and uh, ready to distribute that and make a lot of people happy. Mississippi State merchandise, always a winning selection. And no better place to get it than Campus Bookmart or campusbookmart.net. All right, there's a lot of things happening right now with NIL. You know, I have been a proponent of the Bulldog Initiative ever since it, you know, it became a thing. You know, the reality of it is there's, just, there's so much that is evolving in the NIL world. I think that's important to kind of understand, too. There's not a lot of hard and fast rules. And and when they put these rules out, it's like, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to let people make money by being in advertising. We're going to make let student athletes be able to make money when we sell their jersey. Right. That made sense to all of us. Right. Little did we know we'd all be in the middle of, uh, you know, basically creating a slush fund to buy players or to retain players. It's happening nationally. Found out here within two weeks ago that the IRS has come out and said that NIL contributions are not tax deductible. Now, Charlie Winfield, the genius and gentleman that he is, was already prepared for that possibility. So that was never part of the, the, the plan for Bulldog Initiative because we understood, because we have a brain, that it's going to be tough to consider this a charitable donation. However, there are some other schools within your conference and around the country that set them up with the understanding of people, hey, this will be tax deductible. It is not tax deductible. And the IRS has come out and clarified that, saying, you know what? You cannot claim these as deductions. You can't. It made sense. Okay, like, hey, if we're a business, like, hey, if if jeanspage.com wants to hire Will Rogers and have Will do an ad for us, we can write that off as advertising. You know, that can be part of our budget. But if you're just out there giving money, you know, to a collective, you're just making a donation, and it's non-tax deductible. 
And there were a lot of people that kind of framed up their collectives on this, oh, yeah, this is just like giving to the Bulldog Club. We didn't. Or this is just like giving to the, you know, the Gator Club or you know, the Loyalty Foundation at Ole Miss. And uh, I don't know how Ole Miss has her set up. I'm not in any way trying to suggest that I do. But there are some schools in our conference that were set up that way. And so, as a result, now they've kind of got some explaining to do. And so, because all of a sudden, if you file your taxes and you claim these, you know, collective payments, they're going to be kicked out, which could lead to an audit and all kinds of stuff. It's just trouble you don't need. Not to mention, a lot of people gave a substantial amount of money thinking this thing was going to be a tax write-off. So what do you do next year, right? How do you go back to that same guy and say, hey, listen, you know, listen, we used your $50,000 last year and helped us get this player and that player or keep this player. How about we up that to 100000 this year? Well, no, how about we don't? Because I gave you fifty grand last year under the, ex, under the understanding I was going to be able to write it off of my taxes, and I can't. So now, now not only am I out the fifty grand, I'm out the tax deduction. That's a tough sell. Well, then this week we find out there's another layer to the onion. The NCAA has now come out and said, hey, it doesn't matter what your state law says. You got to follow the NCAA rules. Now, that is a lawsuit in the making right there. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Now, the NCAA will argue is like, hey, membership is a voluntary decision. We make the rules. If you don't like the rules, you don't have to participate with NCAA athletics. You can always go BNIAI or whatever. Bottom line is we make the rules. And so we have a copy of the memorandum here. It, uh, it made the rounds uh, yesterday, I guess. And I'm going to read you some things from that I think are important. And let's credit Mississippi State alum Ross Dellinger for having this. The NCAA National Office continues to receive numerous questions about the application of NCAA legislation and the name, image, and likeness interim policy when various state laws address NIL in different and sometimes contrary ways. The NCAA Division I Board of Directors emphasized the need to publish additional guidance as needed to assist institutions in complying with rules prohibiting pay-for-play or improper recruiting inducements in connection with NIL activity. The association has been clear and maintains that schools must adhere to NCAA legislation when it conflicts with permissive state laws. In other words, if a state law permits certain institutional action and the NCAA legislation process prohibits the same action, institutions must follow NCAA legislation. In an effort to facilitate more stability in an evolving and often confusing national environment, the National Office developed summaries of how NCAA regulations have been applied to various scenarios posed by the membership. While the questions and answers below are based on actual circumstances, they have been altered for brevity and clarity. Question one, it is clear that institutions may not compensate a student athlete for use of NIL. Is it permissible for an entity closely associated with an institution to compensate student athletes for use of the NIL? So let's say for an example, let's say Bulldog Club, right? According to this, you know, the Bulldog Club is actually independent of Mississippi State, though it is a Mississippi State fundraising entity. Right, the Bulldog, the Bulldog Foundation is probably a better example, right? Even though that money is collected uh, to help 
the advancement of Mississippi State Athletics, it is considered to be actually free of the university. Does that make sense? And the foundation is probably a better example than the Bulldog Club itself. So here's the answer from NCAA. No, the institution may not use NIL transactions to compensate student athletes for athletics participation or achievement or as an improper inducement. Any entity that is closely aligned with an institution that is viewed as an extension of the university is subject to the same NIL scrutiny as the institution and must adhere to NCAA rules and policy. This includes a prohibition on compensating student athletes for use of their NIL. Further institutions are accountable for such entities since they meet the NCAA's definition of a booster, even though the group is formed as a separate 501c3. That's nuts. That's absolutely nuts. So basically what they're saying here is if you set up a 501c3 and you are a representative of what's considered the university's athletics interest, even if you're not under the jurisdiction of the NCAA, the NCAA can sanction the school. And the school in and of itself, you know, a lot of these, these programs, yes, they're affiliated with the university, but they're not directed by or funded by the university. And so basically what they're saying is, hey, if somebody involved with you through some loose affiliation breaks an IL rules, they're going to sanction the school. Now, that's how they've done it in years past with boosters. Like if donors went out and gave impermissible benefits and disassociated a booster and put the university on probation. This is a much different deal because this is a situation where a lot of people are giving money to these organizations thinking everything is on the up and up. And now we find out that uh, some of these collectives, not yours, but some of these are not following the rules the way they should, which is a big shock, right? Number two, are boosters or a collection of boosters permitted to have contact with prospective student athletes and discuss potential NIL opportunities should the individual decide to attend a particular school? Now, this right here kind of flies in the face of the state law in Mississippi because the state law in Mississippi says basically as soon as a kid commits to a school, then he can then enter into an NIL deal with said school. The NCAA is now saying, no, that's incorrect. Now, a booster or collection of boosters is not permitted to engage in recruiting activities, including recruiting conversations. When a booster's interaction with a, a prospective student athlete includes encouraging the PSA to attend an institution, NCAA rules have been violated. Now, on its face, that makes sense to me. It's like the only reason you're being compensated is because you chose our school. You know, the thing that I will say, based on what I know about Bulldog Initiative, we're not in that kind of business. You know, we're not out there providing inducements. And there's a lot of that's going on. We go back to the Jaden Rashada thing. You know, remember the quarterback that signed with Florida for millions of dollars, and then for one reason or another, they couldn't honor the deal, so he backed out and goes to Arizona State. And there were people involved in all that that said that they were you know, administrators in Florida that were trying to encourage people, hey, let's, you know, let's kind of rally the troops here and raise the money. We need this quarterback. Millions of dollars for a high school kid, man, that's just out of control here. But, yes, that is an impermissible benefit because the only reason that this young man is receiving this is because he's choosing your school. And so you've got people out there that are making decisions based on NIL. Well, they're going to the highest bidder. That on its face is an illegal inducement. 
It's not like he's on your team and he rushed for 1,000 yards last year. Okay, well, now we're going to come up with an NIL deal to help this guy market himself and make a little money. That's a completely different deal. Once they're in the house, it's different. When they're on the road and they're a recruit, and then you're in the process of recruiting them and you offer them money, that should be a violation. I think most people would agree with that. And, of course, there's always these uh, hipsters, you know, oh, Steve, no, it's a free market society. Well, I mean, you know, you're basically violating your amateurism, right? That's been a tenet of the NCAA from the beginning. I'm not kidding myself. I understand how, how life works. I'm not some Pollyanna. But you're basically making pay for play a real deal. Right, number three, is it permissible for an institution to provide special benefits to boosters in return for a booster donating funds to a collective? Now, this is something that we've talked about extensively. Should the university be able to provide a benefit to donors who give to NIL? I think yes, as long as they're not involved in the actual, you know, purchasing of players. It's like, hey, if you give, you know, $1,000 to NIL, maybe it impacts your, uh, yeah, your Bulldog Club points. I mean, I think that's reasonable. NCAA says no. Institutions may not provide assets, including tickets, suite access, club seating to a donor as an incentive providing funds to the NIL entity. I think that's wrong. I mean, this, that's the problem that I've got with every bit of this. This is a situation of the NILs making. They created the space, and now people are filling this space with ideas to try to help themselves be more competitive. And so it's like, hey, we need people to give us NIL money because the NIL uh, package that they're rolling out these days is not what they promised us. The NCAA had to enforce its own rules. And so NIL has become kind of morphed into something that we weren't expecting. So we're trying to roll with the punches here. How do we get more bang for our buck? Well, let's, you know, let's work with our collectives and incentivize people to give because we want to put a competitive product on the field. And everybody's like, no, you can't do that. What's your fault? Number four. Is it permissible for an individual or collection of individuals to condition payment of NIL compensation on a student athlete's attendance at a particular school? Basically what they're saying is like, hey, if you come to school here, this is the NIL package you could expect. If we're recruiting you and let's say, you know, Alabama's offering you, I don't know, $10,000 a year, we're offering you 12. You come here, this is the NIL compensation that would be available. That's a violation, as it should be. It should be. And, and my, here's my thing with the NCAA. Stop sending out memorandums. Start putting people on probation. And I understand there was a grace period before, and we kind of let everything go, and now here we are. And that's the thing about rules. You can make all the rules you want, but uh, it's not going to stop cheaters. It's what makes them cheaters in the first place. They don't abide by the rules. It's nuts. It is. The answer to that question, according to the NCAA memorandum, is no, NIL compensation may not be contingent upon enrollment at a particular school. In addition, NIL compensation may not be contingent upon residency in a certain location simply to circumvent the standard. That was part of the whole Florida Jaden Rashada deal. right? They didn't say he had to go to Florida. They said he had to live in Gainesville, Florida. Well, he's not going to live in Gainesville, Florida and commute every day to Tallahassee. 
right? So that was kind of a workaround there. They're trying to kind of close the loophole there. But again, there's no way that a school or a collective is going to offer an NIL deal to a player that is going to go play for the rival school. Question number five, it is, a clear, is it, it is clear student athletes may not be compensated for participating in a competition and may not be compensated for promoting such competition. Is it permissible for an event sponsor or another institution to pay a collective which in turn compensates student athletes? No, it is impermissible for student athletes to receive compensation directly or indirectly for participating in an athletics competition. Basically what they're saying is like, hey, Let's pack the hump, and we're going to pay a kid to go, to go do an ad for us. As a result, events, operators, event sponsors, and institutional opponents may not pay an NIL entity for a competition in which student-athletes participate. Further, an institution may not provide direct compensation to student-athletes related to NIL activities, nor may an institution share revenue with student-athletes. Finally, an athletics department staff member it's prohibited from representing enrolled student-athletes for NIL deals, including securing and negotiating deals on behalf of a student-athlete. A lot to unpack there. But, you know, there's a lot of times now you'll see our student-athletes go out there and say, like, you know, like, like Tolu will do a little thing. Hey, pack the hump, right? Um, so they're doing that for free, but they can't be compensated for it. I don't know why if they're doing it for free, they'd have to be compensated. But clearly there are some people that have been doing that or they wouldn't be in writing, kind of like on the back of your uh, – of your shampoo bottle where it says do not drink i mean that's that's from a lawsuit right because somebody went and drank it and said oh i didn't know i couldn't drink it so that's put it out there don't drink this is kind of the same situation here and it's talking about how the second part of this is about you can't have a staff member basically working as an agent an nil agent for players so you can't have, like, people talk about, oh, well, so-and-so's collective is so much more organized than ours. They even have, you know, a liaison on campus. That can't be. And that's probably the right thing to do until they uh, get all this stuff together. Final question number six. I think this is right. Number six. Some current and proposed state laws appear to now prohibit the NCAA form of enforcing its rules. What is the NCAA's position on its approach when an institution is one of those state, in one of those states violates NCAA legislation? NCAA rules are adopted by member schools. It is not fair to those schools who follow the rules to not enforce rules against those who choose not to do so. Schools who do not like the application of a particular rule should work through the NCAA governance process to change the rule. Unless and until the membership changes a particular rule, all schools is part of a voluntary membership are required to comply. There you go. There, there, there's your, your legal defense for the NCAA. The participation and membership to the NCAA is strictly voluntary. Now, that's true on its face. But the reality of it is, is, with all the TV deals and all the business and things that have come up with this, we all understand you're not going to leave the NCAA and go play NAIA football. Not going to do that. The NCAA, for all intents and purposes, has a monopoly on every bit of this. They do. Now, part of that last deal, too, is about the state law thing. There is a big deal coming up with Texas A&M. Huge deal coming up with Texas A&M. 
I believe it's July 1st. Let me see if I can find the uh, find the, the, the name of it. But anyway, there basically is a state law that's going to go into effect in Texas that is uh, basically going to give uh, fans all of these endorsements and, and uh, ticketing priority and things like that. And so it, it is July 1st. And uh, it allows fundraising groups to spend money on NIL endorsements and fans who donate to groups earn special benefits such as Texas A&M giving fans priority for game tickets. Now, of course, NCAA said you can't do that. And so, and and Ross Bjork, whose name is in the news again, and uh, he's like, hey, this is the state law, and this is the state in which we reside in and do our business in, so we're subject to the state law. It's not like the state law is reducing the NIL package. They're basically making it more expansive for in-state institutions to operate under a different set of rules. And Ross Bjork and, and Texas A&M, and all, they'd be fools not to exploit it. It's much like the Vandy thing with the need-based aid. They've got the money to fund it, so why wouldn't they? Why would they say, well, I don't think it's fair. Oh, you mean we can spend all this and other schools don't have the resources to do so and it gives us a competitive advantage? Hey, where do I sign up? Nothing illegal or cheating about it. You may think it's unethical, but until they, they close the loophole, Vanderbilt would be a fool not to use it. And so now you kind of got a situation of a similar statute that is being set up in Texas and other places. And the Mississippi NIL law is actually, you know, you know, not very restrictive. You know, it, there's a lot of freedom that we have in Mississippi don't have elsewhere. In the beginning, we were just happy to have a law. We made it legal. We were one of the first states to make it legal. Then we were one of the first states after we changed our law. Alabama has dropped their law completely. And so there is all of this ebb and flow with this process that um, is probably necessary to get us to some type of um, consistency. We've talked about that before, too. We need a national policy. We needed a national policy from the NCAA and not these memorandums from time to time and saying, don't do this, don't do that. How about you just, you you guys could have got ahead of the game, and now we're having to go beg the federal government to help bail us out now. And so now that, you know, it's going to take forever to get this thing done, but there could be a federal law governing the NIL compensation for amateur athletes that would supersede all state laws. You know, we're certainly not going to fight a civil war over this, but this is an evolving situation. And so I'll tell you this, we're not in trouble. If this becomes some big, uh, you know, war scene, we're not going to take strays here. Because we're not out there incentivizing players to recruit to or commit to us based on NIL stuff. Other people are. We're not. Basically, as I understand it, we're using the bulk of our NIL compensation uh, to retain players. Hey, so-and-so's thinking about going in the portal. Okay. Let's take care of them. You know. um, it, again, it's not what they rolled out to us, but we, you know, we've kind of adapted you know, to the changing landscape of NIL compensation. And it's a shame that we have to commit so much time to this. You know, I, again, I think what's going to happen is ultimately that the student athletes of the NCAA are going to unionize and everybody's going to sign away their NIL to a union and have a collective bargaining agreement and then everybody's going to share in the TV revenue per se and then you would still have the opportunity in some respects maybe to sell your jersey or whatever but I think you're going to see a lot of this stuff 
kind of go away. And we just got to tread water until it does. But if you look at what LSU has done, you know, there have been two NAFL championships, or three NAFL championships awarded here in the last uh, three months, and they've won two of them. And then, of course, the one they didn't on the men's side of things, they were the you know, worst team in the SEC this year in men's basketball, uh, get a slap on the wrist in men's basketball. And so it's like there's so much of this. It's almost like the Bobby Cops of Britain, right? Like they don't have guns. They have their little billy clubs, and it's like stop or I'll say stop again. You know, I mean, it's like in America, it's like stop or we'll shoot. And sometimes you don't even get to stop. I'm not going to chase that political thread very long, but you understand my point. Nobody's taking the NCAA seriously right now. And so the very first time they try to sanction somebody for this NIL stuff, there's going to be a big lawsuit. I think we're years away from having resolution on this. You know, I think it is going to require federal government oversight. I mean, people are like, well, Steve, do you want the federal government involved? Well, no, but based on where we are now, when you have all these different pockets of resistance to NIL and you've got some states out there basically paving the way for their in-state schools to be more competitive, that's why we have a federal government to ensure there is a level playing field. And there's always going to be dark money flowing. It's so funny. People are like, oh, there's no need for that anymore. Well, it's still happening. So tell me why it's still happening. You don't think there's people out there still giving money to recruits? Well, bless your heart. But, Steve, there's NIL. Yeah, yes, there is, which makes it even dumber. There's now a vehicle to, to make the money clean, but there's still people out there. I guess it's one of those situations, too, where it's, you know, there's a thrill behind it. It's stupid. I don't want my, my name attached to this. Well, there's no reason. There's no problem with it if you do it the right way. And, of course, the right way is still evolving. That's an important aspect to understand, too. What's right today may be wrong tomorrow. And so a lot of people are so confused about this. And again, I'll just tell you, you know, give your money to the initiative. Now, you don't, you know, if you don't want to give, then don't give. But you can best believe that Charlie Winfield has done his due diligence. The way this thing was set up was in compliance with NCAA protocols. So we're not out of here cutting corners trying to make things done. But um, the reality of it is this is a, a huge part of the NCAA discussion these days you know i really wish we could be sitting around talking about hey well riders is the best quarterback in the sec true run true wouldn't that be a better conversation to have than week after week after week we get something new on nil or the transfer portal i get tired of it too but the bottom line is it's not going away and the only way this nil thing gets resolved is if there is federal oversight there is a one-size-fits-all policy for every member institution of the ncaa you can't have utah and byu out there negotiating deals through their sponsors to compensate student athletes and then you can't do that in arizona it's not fair and people are like, Steve, if you really want it screwed up, get the federal government involved. And that's cute. I understand. I do. I mean, you know, we're Mississippians. We've never been real, you know, especially big fans of the federal government. But my point being is that when you've got a situation like this, what is the alternative? There's not one. There's no other way to fix it. The NCAA and Mark Emmert and his lackeys had every opportunity to put this thing to bed years ago. They didn't do it. And so now we're trying to clean up the mess and we're going to need the federal government to help us do it, which is unfortunate. All right, let's spend a few minutes together here uh, kind of preparing you for what's left in the summer recruiting. We won't spend a lot of time on this, but um, 
you know, the dead period's begun now. Things are quieting down. You can't have on-campus visitors. No face-to-face contact. You can still talk by phone. You can still talk by direct message. Uh, so there'll still be a little things going on. We're in a dead period right now. But the um, reality of it is there'll be some news to report, but it's not going to be like it was during the month of June. So let's take a quick update. Again, 15 commitments in the class and uh, probably about 8 to 10 more spots left. 8 to 10. I don't know that it goes over 25, but unless we have a big rush of transfers at the end of the year. But based on kind of where we are, I think it's going to end up somewhere in the low 20s. Again, unless there's a bunch of outgoing traffic, and there may be, you know. Uh, but eight of the 15 held from the great state of Mississippi, three from Alabama, two from Tennessee, one from Florida, one from Louisiana. Of course, the one from Florida is actually from Mississippi. So quarterback, we have one quarterback in the class, Josh Flowers from Alabama, the first commitment in the class. And uh, jumped aboard. He was the guy that Kevin Barbet already had a relationship with, so it made perfect sense. Now, we have two senior quarterbacks in the classroom. There is still some eligibility left for Will Rogers and Mike Wright. What are the chances they're both back? I don't know. I can't answer that. I think Will Rogers is probably done after this year. Um, I think Will probably will play this year, and then we'll see. But, you know, is Mike Wright your starter for next year? Well, I, we'll see. But you've only got three scholarship quarterbacks on the team this year. That's Chris Parson and two seniors. So are we in a situation where we have to take two quarterbacks? Possibly. Possibly. You might need to take a high school guy and a veteran guy. You may need to go in a portal and get somebody. If you don't, if you don't have to go get an incumbent starter or go get a guy to come in to, to start for you, then you probably take two high school quarterbacks Then we'll then kind of balance things out a little bit because you'd like to carry four scholarship quarterbacks. Well, Parson should be the heir apparent. I think Chris is a great fit for this offense. I think the air raid maybe didn't help his uh, – you know, maybe didn't emphasize his skill set the way that maybe this one will. But you could be faced with the possibility of uh, you know, Mike Wright and Will Rogers both being gone. You could. I mean, I don't think that's the case. I think Mike is back next year. He's already used his one-time transfer exemption, but he could, you know, he could be a grad transfer and do what he wants to do. But I think it's going to ultimately be a two-quarterback class. Again, if Mike and or Will comes back, then you probably go and sign – another high school kid and I, again I, I think that's an important aspect of things too but I think because of the fact you only got three scholarship quarterbacks now and you could potentially lose two probably more likely losing one you probably need to take two in this class to get you back to four scholarship quarterbacks you'd like to have that uh, running back we don't we, we've got one listed because they've got um They've got uh, a kid listed as a running back that, uh, that's uh, Xavier Gayton that will be a safety for us. It's going to be a run running back class, more than likely. You know, we've spent a lot of time and effort on running backs here in the last couple of years. We've got depth there. I think you continue to chase Conan Daniels. I, I don't think that's over with Florida. I also think Florida is going to have a very disappointing season. I think Billy Napier and those guys are going to be um, on the hot seat in 2024 if they're not this year. You know, Dan Mullen got fired a year removed from three consecutive New Year's Six Bowl games. You don't think that they're going to make a move if Billy Napier has a, another losing season? 
do you think that if he's had two losing seasons in a row at the University of Florida, you think they're going to give him a third? I don't know. I don't know how that contract is structured, but I know that there are Florida people that are willing to, to get out of that. They may not be willing to give money to the Gator Collective to honor that contract for Jaden Rashada, but they will for a coaching change. But uh, I think Conan Daniels will make a late flip. I don't think Conan Daniels ends up sticking with Florida. I don't. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't. Receiver, you got three right now, of course, with J.J. Harrell, Stonka Burnside, and uh, Matt Mayfield. We don't talk a lot about Matt. Probably need to do a little more, find out about the Matt Mayfield story. How many receivers do you take? That's a good question. You know, uh, I think four at a minimum. I think you take five if you can get a difference maker. Narelle White wants to come, you take him. And, again, I keep hearing that's really a state Ole Miss thing. I won't be surprised. At one point, State was the favorite, then Ole Miss was the favorite, and he commits to Arkansas. You know, way back in March, it make a lot of sense. But you could have another receiver. And, I can't, again, what's, uh, what do you do with San Francisco McGee? Is he a receiver? I don't think he's tall enough to be a tight end. He's going to be wide enough. But, you know, he's a big-bodied guy that can get out there and elevate, compete for a football. So, uh, do you take him as an athlete? Is he going to play in safety? Is he growing to a linebacker? I think that's an important aspect of things, too. Offensive line, I expect to take five high school guys and then probably an older guy in the portal. That makes perfect sense to me. We're going to be losing some guys now. Of course, if uh, Markel Bell decides to come, then maybe your need for a guy in the portal is not quite as emergent. But you got four guys committed now. I would take William Eccles, and then I'd be done with high school offensive linemen unless some blue chip wanted to come along. And then I'm going to go out and find the best older guy I can that can come in in the spring and compete for a starting job next year. Defensive line, I don't expect a big D-line class, even though there is a big, uh, big group of D-linemen in this state. And as we have gotten to know them through camps, while there are a bunch of D1 D-linemen in this state, there's not a lot of SEC D-linemen in this state. And I would submit to you, there's a couple guys out there that are committed to SEC schools that uh, have signed G5 guys. They're SEC guys in, in title only. I think you turn the tape on and you, and you see it. I think Southern Miss really benefits this year. It's just such a great year in Mississippi depth-wise. And I think Will Hall and the staff down there are doing exactly what they should be doing. Linebacker, we got one. Going to be two or three. Two or three, kind of depending on how things shake loose here. But, um, yeah, just kind of run through numbers here. Again, I think this is going to be one of those classes we're going to look back and, and have some, some big names, right? I think Tyler Carter, your most recent commitment, that's a guy right there I think is going to be one of those great Mississippi State success stories. He's going to be one of those guys who was lightly recruited – Hadn't played a lot of high school football. Maybe there's not a big enough sample size for other schools to take a chance on him. And State's going to take a chance. And then senior year, after that senior film makes the rounds, people are going to be like, wait a minute. Man, we should offer this kid. It's going to be too late. And all of a sudden, two, three years from now, all of a sudden, Tyler's out there sacking some quarterback in Tuscaloosa, and everybody's comparing him to Preston Smith. I had that kind of feel with him. And he was a guy, too, you know, you like his athleticism. This is a guy, too, that plays at a high level in every sport. He's a guy that can jump out of the gym and hit a home run, sack the quarterback. I can't wait to go see him play this year. What's he going to look like when he fully commits to football, when he's just in football shape only? You know, because there's some kids out there 
they kind of break down a little bit athletically because they play year-round something, right? They never really truly let their body rest. And um, Chris Brooks uh, is a friend. We, he and I talked a couple days ago. He talked about what a great athlete Tyler Carter is. Yeah, that kid has athleticism for days. I think you're going to look back and say, you know what, this was a great get. <laughs> and people are going to laugh and say, remember who we beat for him? I just think he has that vibe, or we do. If you haven't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com, and you can get most of my sports books there. Dogpile is there. Alpha Dogs is there. And there's limited, limited quantities of those available. Warehouse has nearly exhausted the inventory of Alpha Dogs. Stark Villains is gone. And then uh, Flim Flam still got about 520 copies. We got clarification on that. So that's going too. Had a little bit of rush around Father's Day. Blooms of Oleander will soon be out of print. So if you want that to, to have your Steve Robertson collection complete, you need to make a move sooner rather than later. That's Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. Um, you know, it's one of those things that you, you go out, you can find it. But once it's gone, it's gone. I'll have a few copies here. I'll keep for family. And that'll be it. And I don't know if I ever write in the book of poetry. It was fun. I, I never thought it would sell as well as it has. But uh, nevertheless, I'm glad to have that as part of my uh, catalog. So working on the new book now, as you guys know, we are uh, 14 chapters in. The original plan was to have 19 chapters because I got clean and sober at 19. So that was the plan. I just don't think I can wrap this thing up in five chapters. And so I want to share this with you, too. The, uh, I almost changed the name of the book. Uh, to know better of roses. Uh, there's a couple reasons why. Number one, people have called me Rose Bowl for a long time, and I thought that would be a nice little uh, play on that, No Bed of Roses. Uh, but also, too, there's a song, obviously, that's uh, very important to me, and you'll read why in the book, uh, called No Bed of Roses. And no, it's not uh, Bon Jovi. But uh, it's a band called Lynch Mob, uh, George Lynch's side project from Dockin'. And uh, so I share all this with you, too, and, and I'm not going to preach too long about this. i got to get out of here. I'm so late doing the show as it is. got to eat supper at some point. But um, no matter who you are where you're from, uh, your life at some point will be impacted by addiction. Maybe not you directly. Maybe it'll be somebody you love. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Uh, maybe somebody you work with. And uh, my hope is, is that uh, they can get the help they need. So a few years ago, I ran the math on this. And, of course, the statistics change all the time. At the time, Betty Ford surmised that 1 in 25 people that need professional help from chemical dependency get it. 1 in 25. And then of that group, only 1 in 25 have a period of sobriety of a year or more. So we're talking 4% of 4%. So the odds are astronomically against us making it. And so... The thing that I would say is I have been around the rooms for uh, much of my life. Uh, if I make it to December 10th, we'll be 32 years clean and sober. And so the thing that I have noticed is the pathology of relapse is always the same. Always. Is we go to treatment or we go to meetings for a little while. We think we've got a handle on it and we go right back to our normal, quote, lives. And we go back to our regular routine. It's like, well, now maybe I think I can control it, Steve. Now, you know, I just won't drink like before. It's a progressive illness, and it leads us to one of three places, jails, institutions, and death. I've been to two of the three and tried the third, and uh, God was willing to save me from all that stuff. And so I have uh, I wanted to write this book so many times, and it just never felt like the right time. And maybe it's because, you know, it's been such a difficult year in some respects. I mean, I've been alone a lot the last year. Of course, wife's home a whole lot more nowadays. And so my mental health is much better. 
But I think maybe it was this was the perfect time to write this. You know, maybe when my heart was a little bit more sensitive. But um, none of this is a vanity project. And I share that with you because I think it's important to understand. There's some things in this book that are going to be very unflattering. And you may think a little bit less than your good friend and host, and that's okay. It's okay. Because then that, that, in that case, the book's not for you. I'm trying to help the still-suffering addict. And there's so many people out there that don't understand addiction or recovery or what it takes to get there. You know, it's like, well, can I just take a pill? You know, uh, can I get a shot? No. You know, I tell you, when I was in treatment, I thought, well, I'll just impress them with my intellect. I'll go out here the very first night, and I'll memorize the 12 steps, and it'll be like vacation Bible school. And they'll say, oh, look, how he's got it, you know, and they'll let me out. Well, they didn't. It didn't matter what I knew intellectually. It didn't matter at all. It's a very simple program, and sometimes I think I was almost too smart to get it. Because I wanted to find the, the shortcut, the easier, softer way. You know, I was like the kid in algebra. It's like, yeah, I can do it the way you say, but I can get the right answer doing it this way. I was that kid. And I was that adult for many, for many years, too, always looking for the easier, softer way. And so, you know, the book is called uh, When the Bottom Falls. <clears throat> A lot of people think, and there's this metaphorical bottom, that, okay, well, this is as far as it was willing to take him. So now it's spit him out, and here we are. No. Things can always get worse. They can always get worse. No matter what you do or say, what anybody else says, they say, oh, that's just the bottom. No, 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 no. Well, they say, well, Steve, I've never done this. And I'll say, yet, yet. But you don't understand. No, you don't understand. You don't understand. If it was easy to quit, anybody would do it. You need help. And in my case, I needed a spiritual awakening. I'm a different person today. I absolutely am. And um, I submit to you that many of you wouldn't have wanted to know me back then. There's so many people that got, I, from my hometown, like, I can't believe you became a drug addict. I said, if you knew what I've gone through, you'd say, I'm, no, I know why. And so I'm going to share that with you. And I think it's important that we're open and honest about that. And I've had so many people in the past that have reached out and said, oh, Steve, you know, you're so much more than this. Why do you have to keep talking about all this stuff? You know, you're not just an alcoholic and an addict, and that's true. But at my core, it's important that I always remember that. I can't go out and drink like normal people. And, and some people say, I can't use like normal people. Well, normal people don't use. Normal, Dr. Evil quotes, right? And it's become such a relative term, right? Here's what I know about me. I was the kind of guy that uh, if we went out and just had a couple of beers that I didn't want to go, you know, if we couldn't, if we couldn't get rip-roaring drunk and end up on Bourbon Street chasing strippers and, and cocaine, then, then let's not do it. You know, if we can't wake up with a story to tell, let's just stay home. You know, that's, that's how it was. And I would never just drink a beer. You know, somebody like, I'm just going to have a beer to wind down. That's, that's foreign to me. And so I know if I go back out, I'm not coming back. I know this. And so I, I take care of that on the daily. And so if you are a person that is uh, impacted by addiction, I hope that you'll buy the book. Or maybe somebody loves you about it for you. And uh, I don't claim to have all the answers. I'm just going to tell you my story. And maybe in some ways it inspires some people. Uh, but my hope is that there's maybe somebody out there that's struggling and says, you know what? I can do this too. I'm not special, guys. I'm not. I'm just stubborn in the right way. I'm the kind of person when I make up my mind to do something, I'm going to do it. It may be difficult. It may be painful. It may not be the way you do it. But once I make up my mind to do something, that's kind of how it is. And that's how it was for me. 
I got close enough to the end and I said, you know what, I want to live. I want to one day grow up and, and, and be a husband and a father. And uh, I want to be a guy that does cool things with his life. I want a guy that hangs out with rock stars and gets to know football stars and all that kind of stuff. I wanted to do that kind of stuff. And, uh, and here I am. And I'm living proof that uh, if you work hard enough and you do enough of the right things, you can get a lot out of life. You absolutely can. And uh, so, again, when the bottom falls out, before you know it, man, um, it's already, book's already being typeset and everything else and got a few chapters left to write. And you would think, well, if he's still writing on it, there's no way this thing is out the time of football season. You're wrong. It's going to be about a four- to five-week turnaround from the time that we finally get the final edited manuscript to them. We'll have a book back in about five weeks. Much different than it was a dog pile. And if you need dog pile, please go ahead and get that. You know, we, we ordered a whole bunch of those, and then uh, we sold a whole bunch of them, and we did our best to kind of keep up with demand. And then uh, we had all these delays in shipment. And so that's been alleviated now. So, but uh, again, we've got a lot of dog pile, and uh, got some flim flam left, and it's a handful of, of alpha dogs. And again, that's dogpilethebook.com. And again, it's winding down now, last couple of days. Uh, jeanspage.com annual subscription 50% off offer now's the time to make the move for sure and if you need start villains gear chances are you do go to starkvillains.com you get t-shirts hoodies thongs no we're not there yet not not there um but nevertheless a lot of an assortment of products there and you can get them in a variety of colors and uh, if you live in starkville i don't know why you don't have one anyway because it is so cool to live and be in starkville uh, be sure and check it out starkvillains.com listen that's it for today thanks again for hanging here with us and sorry it's so late I'll try to be uh, better on time on Friday, but again, a lot of business stuff to handle today, and uh, it's been a busy few weeks for me, and uh, looking forward to kind of having uh, things quiet down a little bit here as we uh, get into the dead period. But uh, until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.